Hello and welcome to Lunch with Lee. I'm your host Shane Lee. Today on the show, Paul Ruse, a former Australian rules footballer and coach, playing 356 matches for Fitzroy and the Sydney Swans. He's also coached the Sydney Swans and the Melbourne Football Club, winning a premiership in 2005 with the Sydney Swans. He's also worked in media as a commentator and now working behind the scenes with the North Melbourne Football Club and is a member of the Australian Rules Hall of Fame. And Steve Rickson, a former Australian and New South Wales cricketer, playing 151 first-class matches, 13 tests and six one-day internationals. He's also coached New South Wales, New Zealand, Surrey, Hyderabad, Chennai, Pakistan and Sri Lanka. Away from sport, he doesn't mind a punt and he's a mad fisherman. Let's get started. Okay, hello and welcome to Lunch with Lee. I'm your host, Shane Lee. Today on the show, Paul Ruse, a former Australian Rules footballer and coach. Welcome, Ruse. Thanks, mate. How are you? Very well, thanks, mate. And another very special guest, an old coach of mine, Steve Rickson, a former Australian New South Wales cricketer. Welcome, Stumper. Thanks, Shane. That's a lovely introduction. It is, mate. It is, mate. Look, look firstly, um, thanks for both of you guys for doing this. And I, and Ruse, I was, I was sort of doing my own research on you and I looked at some old photos and, and they say things go sort of in 20 to 25-year cycles. Mate, you supported exactly the same mullet the boys are wearing these days. I know. It's funny. I was talking about <laughs> two boys that are 25 and 27, and I, I reckon I mentioned to them about five years ago that I'm going to bring the mullet back. <laughs> I came back at about the same time, so it's actually quite amazing. But Stumper and I are similar vintage, but it wasn't even called a mullet back then, was it, mate? It was just... Yeah. It was just the hairstyle. It was sort of like, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you one thing, Stumper. As I said, 20 to 25 years, that things come round in circles. But I remember you um, sporting uh, in the late 70s, early 80s, a safari suit, mate. Now, that, that hasn't come back in fashion yet. I'm not sure it ever will. <laughs> it's a beautiful sky colour. I can't say why, why, but all good things come around again. Yeah, I think I think you had about four of them. They were in light blue, light blue, and light blue, and light blue. I think. <laughs> well, mate, they, they may not come back, but the legacy lives on. So the story continues. So everyone's happy. No, no drums with that. I'm pretty excited to talk to both of you guys. Well, I'm a I'm a mad Swan supporter, Ruzi, as you probably know. And um, but you two are guys that I think are at the top of your game, um, not just as players, but but also um, in in the coaching side of things. So, Ruzi, I'll start with you, mate. What, what in, in short, what, what makes a real good culture at a club? Yeah, I mean, it's changed over many, many years in terms of being able to create one. I think, you know, when I was playing, it was probably just having really good people, you know, and yeah. that had changed. But at least now with professional football, you can actually shape it yourself. So, so as an extension of that is being really clear on what your standards are and trying mm-hmm. to get a collective buy-in of the group, you know, not just top-down as sort of when – when Steve and I first started, it was really top down, the coach telling you what to do. Sure. Now it's a collective buy-in. So if you get a collective buy-in and then you get really good leaders that are role models, yeah, that's probably the really good start to having a good culture. You know, good role model leaders, good standards, collective agreement in what they're going to be, mm-hmm. and then reward and challenge, reward and challenge, reward and challenge. Yeah, Stubby, you, you'd be similar thoughts to that. You were, you were a fantastic communicator as, as a coach, but what, what do you think is key to create a good culture? Mate, it's, um, to me, one number one is always people, the people around you. So yep. if I was to take over, let's say, Surrey Cricket Club, where I wasn't allowed to have the people that I needed around me, mm-hmm. it made it very difficult to get the sort of culture growing. 
uh, because there is already something ingrained there already. So I don't, I don't like interference by the people that are actually uh, paying the bills, the uh, CEOs and so gotcha. forth. I don't mind. I don't mind the sports scientists and all that having their say along the way. That's great. Uh, they've all got a role to play, but. When people come in and start to uh, dominate your thoughts and how things will be when it's not the way you coach, it's not the person you are, it's not the way that you deal with people. So to me, mm. if I've got the right people around me, I can trust them. And once you have that trust, as, as Ruzi's alluded to already, you're, uh, you've, you're a long way getting, getting the culture built. And, and stop it like um, there's an old saying, you know, winners have parties and losers have meetings. I'm looking at the Australian cricket team at the moment, Justin Langer, just overnight, was getting into, a, I think, a, a verbal stouse with some guy in the, in, in the IT department of Cricket Australia. But it just appears to me, outside looking at the moment, the Australian cricket team, there's some problems simmering there, and Justin's style might not be the, the right style. I don't know, but it, it doesn't seem right, does it? Well, no, but we've got to be, got to be keeping this true perspective. The side yep. that's over in, um, over in Bangladesh at the moment that people are focusing on are generally the second team, and it doesn't have a, a Warner, Smith, uh, Labishan, or a Cummings in it. So yeah. there's a little bit of a little bit of difference there. But we, uh, the beauty of Australian cricket has always been that we could fill the nearly a second side, and whether it be a an Andy Bickle coming in to replace a Jason Gillespie or someone along those lines, it was never never a big deal, and it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a big deal for them to walk on and get five there in the same game. So. To me, there uh, there's certain certain things that need uh, need changing. Justin has been good, and I've always thought he would do a reasonably good job. Yep. Uh, but there's also a time span attached to it where that familiarity and uh, and and the respect and and the and the people involved around you may need to be brushed up on, and that maybe we've got to that right now. Yeah, Rizzi, did you find playing or coaching easier? Uh, playing definitely. You yeah. know, yeah. I mean, when I say that, it's because. Even the most selfless player looks after himself first and foremost, and you have to because when you're a player, your main responsibility is to eat well, look after yourself, train hard, and get yourself prepared for the weekend's game. Um, yeah, Then you start to think about the team. Okay, what, what do I need to do for the team and what are my roles, all that? As a coach, there's no thinking about me as in, you know, yeah, gotcha. how it's going to affect me. It's, it's basically every single player pulling him together. Um, so, that, yeah, there's no doubt. And you don't have, you know, you can't go out and bat or bowl and you can't go out and kick mm. footy. So you don't have a direct impact on the game. So what you do in preparation makes a huge difference. You know, for us it's sort of November through to March, yeah, then obviously reviewing and, and previewing and things like that. So there's no doubt coaching's a lot harder than playing. And I just saw the way you were always around the Swans with the, with the guys that played and the, and the way the guys spoke about you, with real respect there. There's almost like a a dad-like sort of figure and like a responsibility for the guys off the field as well. Did you feel that? Oh, 100%. Probably yeah. one of the questions most get asked is, yeah, are you going to coach again? And one of the things I say to that, it, it, it's it's emotional investment, as, as Stumper knows. Like, it's like having forty two kids. Yeah. You know, it's not as simple as <laughs> yeah, it's not as simple as just walking in the club and going, oh, well, I'm just going to be the coach and I'm not going to talk to anyone and we're just going to do the batting practice or goal kicking. It's a real emotional investment in the footy club and in the people, one hundred percent. Stumper, let's talk about a few of your kids you had to look after. Greg Matthews, Chewy McGill, Mike Whitney, Jeff Lawson, The Wars, <laughs> and that Shane Lowe. How, how, how did you manage egos? Well, yeah, ego, egos is a, um, yeah, that's, I, I guess a statement that's always stuck with me came from one of those problem children, and that was from uh, Greg Matthews, who, who <laughs> called me the most uh, 
brutally honest person he's ever met. So I, I guess in a lot of ways there is times and places for that brutally honest person to come out and lay it on the line. There's times where you, you need to sort of butter up to the, the player and um, and make him feel very uh, very much part of the team and and uh, negotiate it in a different way because coaching is a lonely, lonely life. It's, uh, it, you know, it, it, there's different challenges you have to take on how you actually communicate with these uh, problem children, if you like. Um, to me... You know, they're, they're, they're things that are always going to differ. Um, I do remember Stewie McGill one day who uh, who was arguing arguing with the, the only person who was at the SCG that day up on the Bradman stand who was giving him a little bit of uh, a little bit of a hard time. And uh, it was a game where we got bowled out for 196 and then they were one for 120 at uh, two. And uh, Stephen came in huffing and puffing and, you know, yelling and screaming. And uh, anyway, I just said, look, leave, leave it alone. And... Uh, and uh, I'll handle it. So before everyone went out, I, I ended up actually pulling pulling the team only into the dressing into a section of the dressing room and uh, and actually laying the law down, especially mm-hmm. to Stewie. Now Stewie didn't speak to me for three or four days um, <laughs> after that, and that was okay. You know, yeah. no one likes to be done, but that was the only. If we don't win that game, yeah. and that was the session that we're going to win or lose it, we didn't win that game. We don't make the finals. We won it in three days. Yep. Uh, ironically, Stewie went out and got six for in that session, mm. and you know we all know the quality of the bloke. And for him to get get distracted was a was like just a concentration thing. So he needed to get uh, someone that he actually probably deep down respected um, to actually lay it on the line and uh, and actually put it in his place. So everybody's different, uh, Shano, and it's uh, it's a little bit little bit hard to sort of pick pick out the uh, the uh, different characters and their idiosyncrasies. But yeah, sure. the reality is, he just got to deal with it differently. Yeah, I think I remember. I don't, well, I don't know if you remember this, Snapper, but when I was made New South Wales captain, you sat me down. The first question you asked me, who's your key player? I said, McGill. And you said, good answer. And now, how are you going to deal with him? And I said, well, I've already thought of that, Snapper. And I said, I knew he loves his food and wine. Can we get a bigger budget for the team dinners on tour? He said, absolutely. And I told McGill, and he was over the moon. I've got to teach these young kids how to, you know, drink and eat properly. And then, um, then you said to me, what? First thing I'm going to do is paintball and Penrith. I said, McGill's not going to be happy with that. And I told him he wasn't happy, and he went out and executed himself with a paintball gun straight away and said, I'm out. I can't wait for the team dinner that night. <laughs> yeah, it was good fun. Hey, Ruzi, um, I, I was going to ask you, mate, on, on the ego side of things, you, you played with some big, big personalities, plug a locket, et cetera. H- how did you sort of deal with that as a player and also as a coach now? Yeah, it's a, a little bit what, like Stumper said. I mean, there's probably in a in – a, an AFL system, there's obviously things you have to do and, and collectively. So you've got to be really clear on that. So there's sort of the non-negotiables. You know, I think that was one of the strengths of the, of the Sydney Swans. We had a lot of, not a lot, but we had a number of non-negotiables and behaviours. Um, so that was for everyone across the board. I think the next part of it is exactly what Stump is saying. Within the system, mm-hmm. what makes um, yeah, Adam Good's tick and how you treat him is different to Brett Kirk. You know, Kirky mm-hmm. is potentially a bit more direct. Whereas goods is a bit more put your arm around and just explain it a little bit more. So that's okay. that's where coaching or leading becomes a lot more difficult because you've got to understand the personalities within your team and you've got to understand how to get through to those personalities. But equally, with all of those personalities, you've got to make it really clear that this is unacceptable. Yep. So we just don't do that here. So as as you can gather from talking to both Stumper and myself, there's a lot of one-on-one discussions, a lot of communication. Yeah, if you want to be a coach now and just lock yourself in the office, good luck because you'll yeah you'll you'll last 
12 months, really. You know, it, it's all about communication. It's all about, you know, giving your energy and emotional investment in the players and also holding really high standards within that mm. system. And is, is that the sort of – I know you're doing some work with North Melbourne Football Club at the moment, and um, I, I don't know how long you've been doing that for, but there's some real green shoots I'm seeing from North Melbourne Football Club at the moment. But are you doing – uh, work from the players right through to the administration? Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. I'm accompanied performance by design, Jared Murphy, who's running their leadership program. Okay. And I'm also doing some work with Nobes and um, Ben Amafio, who's the CEO, and Brady Rawlings. And I, I love Stumper's point before around people. You know, yep. I think one of, the, one of the difficult things in AFL coaching I can talk to specifically is we ask coaches to take jobs and then we say to these coaches, oh, but everyone, all your assistant coaches are contracted. And then we're expecting this coach to come in with no trust or no mm. relationship, take on, and normally it's a club that's on its knees. Imagine if you did that in business. Imagine if you said, um, yep. look, I'm going to sell this car dealership. You're going to have to buy it. You're going to take all the salespeople, all the mechanics, <laughs> yeah. all the service people, and it's losing $20 million a year. You wouldn't actually do it, would you? No, you wouldn't. It's very, very true. And Stumpy, you managed people before. I remember also you made, uh, when you were coach and I was only a senior player, you made me room with a guy called Ronnie Davison who was he was pretty socially inept. Do you remember that? And um, you said it'd be good for him, Shane. <laughs> and then I found him using my fucking toothbrush one one morning. I said, Stumper. <laughs> and, and you said to me, mate, he just got us 400. You're doing something right, Shane. <laughs> I remember it only too well, and he, he was a very, very interesting character because he played obviously down at Sutherland with with me. But so yeah. I knew how good a cricketer he was. But uh, the harsh reality, he certainly was socially inept, and that really didn't help in the uh, <laughs> and a poor roommate. <laughs> but but, but he, what he what he could do could bat, and he kept on saying, yeah. "said Stumper, the ump, the the, uh, the selectors keep up, you know, sort of pushing me and pushing me, and I think they want to drop me." I said, "Well, I can tell you, Rodney." For uh, for nothing, they do want to drop you. The only way they won't is if you actually continue to score runs. So mm. whether it be a great game on Saturday, a, a game on Wednesday in the second eleven, and then a shield game the next week, he just kept piling hundred upon hundred. And he was, uh, and to his credit, he deserved everything he got. And as I say, he was great, a great um, great person to have in your side. Um, not necessarily for what he said, but more about uh, what he could do. But I can tell you also that he should never. <laughs> Touch people's food. <laughs> I remember that. One day at the SCG, he unfortunately was sitting beside me and um, and he kept on sort of putting his hands over and picking off chips off my plate. And I said, Dave, that's extraordinarily rude. Please don't do it. So he did it again. Well, I don't know whether the marks of the uh, fork of uh, actually hit him up yet. <laughs> I know the, the fork was standing upright in his in the back of his hand when he did it. <laughs> yeah, I remember he stabbed the back of his hand with the fork. It was brilliant. I tell you, he never did it again. No, no, that you got to learn one way or the other. There's, there's a bit of there's a bit of honest feedback for you. We might just take a little break now. And I, um, we once again we're in lockdown. I could not be bothered cooking today, so I'm going to order in some sushi, some nigiri rolls, or some tempura prawns, a little bit of Japanese fried rice and um, of course we'll wash it down with a little O'Brien's beer. John O'Brien is a legend of Australia's beer industry. In 2003 he dreamed of producing a great tasting beer that could be enjoyed by everyone, free from the ill effects of mass-produced wheat and barley. John began a brewing journey blending unique aromas and flavours offered by ancient grains such as sorghum and millet. 
He perfected recipes over time which have led to 40 local and international awards, including three gold medals at the Australian International Beer Awards, a gold medal at the Indies, and a silver medal at the Beer World Cup. Proudly 100% Aussie-owned, made in Ballarat, O'Brien Beer is Australia's most awarded gluten-free beer and widely available around Australia through major retailers and online at rebellionbrewing.com.au. O'Brien Beer, the beer that loves your back. Follow and subscribe to Sportonomic. Venture with me, Reese Lenarduzzi, and other industry experts and key players beyond the mere headlines and into the depths of sports business, law, economics, and finance. Find Sportonomic on your favourite podcast app now. Sportonomic, sponsored by Athlon Partners. Come find out about the emerging universe of sports capital at athlonpartners.com. Hey, Ruse, I used to love going out to the Swans matches when you played and, and the chant, you know, whenever you got the ball was Ruse. I, I want to know now when you go home at night, do your wife and kids chant that ruse when you walk in the front door? I used to be able to get them to do it when they're little kids, but not anymore. Now they're twenty five and twenty seven, so they got my son's actually quite funny because my my younger son, because um, obviously the stumble would know and you would know, Shane, when you're heavily involved in in sport, you know, there's a lot of perks around it, yep. you know, tickets and all that sort of stuff. And and now that I'm sort of a little bit disconnected. My youngest son, Tyler, goes, Dad, you used to be something. You're nothing now. You know, <laughs> they, yeah, you just, they just give it to me about yeah. that. Oh, can you get me tickets for this? Oh, no, you, you're nothing. You used to be something. And I'm like, oh, thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, that's something you bought your house, son. Hey, um, I was going to say, Ruzi, who's your tip for this year for the AFL Premiership? Yeah, fascinating year, isn't it? I mean, I think a lot will depend on where the finals are played as well, which we mm. probably don't know. I mean, it's it's sort of hard to see it being played in, in Melbourne, isn't it? Certainly not going to be played in Sydney. Hard to be seeing the grand final at the MCG, but that'll be played out because there's obviously a lot of Melbourne-based clubs sort of at the top of the ladder, as in Bulldogs, Geelong, yeah. um, Melbourne. So if it's played at the MCG, the traditional home, they're going to have an advantage. If it's yep. taken away, I mean, Port are going – yeah, really well. If, you know, if it was taken to Adelaide, it, it certainly becomes a big advantage. Sure. West Coast is struggling, so if it goes to Western Australia, it's a, it's a somewhat neutral venue. If the Eagles don't yep. and Frio don't get in, um, injuries we know play a big part. Whether that's cricket or whether it's AFL, mm. at the moment, I like our healthy Melbourne is. I like mm. our healthy, um, yeah, the the Dogs and and Geelong. Probably, if I had to pick, who whose best football is the best? Marginally, the dogs. I would yeah, say, I so, Mar- yeah. marginally, the marginally the dogs. You know, mm-hmm. so that's probably at this stage. If they all play their best football, I think the dogs have got to buy a, a smidgen. You'd have to think Bontempelli is a big chance for the Brownlow too. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Stumpy, you, you were born in Albury, right on the border. Well, that's what's on the border of New South Wales, I should say. It's, it's in Victoria, isn't it? You're a big AFL man too, aren't you? Firstly, Albury's on the New South Wales side. Sorry, it's the other way around. Woggers and yeah. – <laughs> uh, You should know. You play cricket down there. Yeah, I do, yeah. It's a good tour there, actually. So, no, I'm a, I'm a very much a one-eyed uh, Swan supporter and have been even back when Rusey was coaching in the dark ages, you know, um, according to his son. But uh, the, uh, <laughs> the, fact, the fact of the matter is that I, I – my weekend is uh, made or destroyed by the strength of uh, the Swans, Swans results. So I am seriously <laughs> a nuffy when it comes to the Aussie rules. I enjoyed my Aussie rules as much as as in any uh, any cricket I ever played. And um, you know, if I you know if I had probably had my way, I would have loved to play both. But 
I, you know, that wasn't the beef, um, mm. and the uh, the air has changed. But the reality was, I uh, I like I actually like Geelong. I mean, I've loved what I've seen with the Swannies when they've been at their best this yeah. year. They've been brilliant, yeah. and I love yeah. to see these kids that have come on and all these all these new players that are uh, emerging. And if we can keep most of them, I think we're going to be in a pretty good shape for a few years to come. Stubby, you're a, you're a mad fisherman. I mentioned that at the start. So what what's your weekend like if you if the Swans lose and you don't catch any fish? You must be miserable. <laughs> oh mate, you don't want to be around me. I mean, you've probably seen that side of me. Yeah, I have, mate, I have. <laughs> Just hold it there as we're going to take a quick break. If you're enjoying this episode, why don't you check out a previous episode where I spoke to another AFL legend, another Sydney Swan, Michael O'Loughlin and gin man Stu Gregor, where we talk about all things sport and business. I ask every guest on the show the same question, and I'll ask you first, Paul. Um, if you're a young female or male um, AFL player and you wanted to take that on as a professional career, what advice would you give them? Well, I think just practice the skills as much as you can. I mean, as much as the game's advanced and, you know, as much as we talk about tactics and, you know, stoppages and kick-ins and, and even when I talk to young coaches, I mean, the first question they ask me is more a technical question around the, the game, the game mm-hmm. plan. But I always say, I mean, the skills of the game are the skills of the game. You know, if you're a young you know, girl trying to play in the AFLW, young boy trying to play in AFL, practice as much as you possibly can. Yes. Yep. The, the old theory of 10,000 hours, it still stacks up. Yep. You know, there's a lot of distractions for young people these days that Stumper and I didn't have when we were playing either cricket or basketball or footy. We just, our whole week was was sport. So what I would say is practice, 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 practice. Mm. It never goes out of fashion because if you can mark, kick and handle and you're really elite at all three skills, you'll, you'll find a way to play footy. I totally agree with that. And do you, It's almost in the last 10 years in sport, not so much right now, but the 10 years prior, that I thought sport became really over-engineered and the basic skills sort of it didn't appear that they were practicing that as hard. It was all this other stuff they were doing on the peripheral. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, 100%. I mean, yeah. also, I mean, both, I think the, the AFL Players Association have come in really strongly and really limited the, the hours that players can, certainly in an AFL point of view. So, and also, as I said, I mean, you've got PlayStation and Facebook yep. and Instagram mm. and, and homework. And there's no such thing as homework when, when I was going to school. So I just think for the young, don't overcomplicate the game. Get out, kick with mum and dad as much as you can. Even other sports, I think that I think that's underrated too. I mean, again, when we grew up, you you would play every sport and, yep. and every sport would complement the other sport. The, the amount of hours that, you know, I was tennis and basketball and football and I'd I just played all those sports continuously. So there's a lot of crossover. So get out, be active, be healthy, and play as much as you possibly can and practice as much as you possibly can. Great advice, mate. Stubber, if you're a young boy or girl coming through and they wanted a, a career in cricket, what advice would you give them? Yeah, it probably, it probably sounds very boring, uh, but there's no sub- substitute for hard work. Uh, be true to your, be true and honest to your, your own ability. Um, I think you've got to be respectful of others in, uh, in your sport. And uh, you know you you uh, you're, you're a long time out of the game, so uh, the one thing you want to do while you're in the game is enjoy it. And seriously, if you you keep those in in place, the as as Rosie rightfully pointed out, the skills don't change. Uh, mm. the, the skill levels might, but the uh, the the basics of the skills don't change. So stick with stick with those, and you won't go far wrong from being very very successful. I asked Mark Holden, the entertainer, that question, and he said, "Marry well." <laughs> that was a cracking answer. <laughs> Stubber, just quickly, what what are your thoughts, your, your personal thoughts on on twenty twenty cricket? Is it good for the game of cricket? 
as a whole? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I've, and I've, I've been very fortunate. I've had a lot of success with the um, with the 220. Uh, yep. got involved with Chennai Super Kings and we won four trophies over there. And then I yep. uh, started up with an ICL team and we I took a side from the bottom in Hyderabad Heroes and made them premiers over there in a 220 comp. Got involved with, uh, you know, Surrey and we won a premiership with them. So 220 has been very much part of my my life. Um and I have to say that it's uh, the dimension of T20 is is good. Don't don't get too carried away with it because uh, you've still got to come back if you if you if you desire the the real game and that is Test cricket. You've still got to come back to your basics and uh, and how to build an innings and all those sorts of things in in the uh, in the other games. So keep it keep it as a as a different dimension to the game of cricket. It's just a new innovation that's actually full of different skills. Some of the fielding uh, that you see there is just extraordinary. There's a lot. Myself, you know, I, I worked out that there was only on average eight or nine balls that actually go through to the wicketkeeper in a T20 game in 120 balls. Now that tells me that you'll probably play an extra batter or something yes. in the game or an extra ball or whatever. You know, someone who could just hold under the gloves for six, six to eight balls every every time. So, you know, it is. It's you got to be you got to be flexible. And um, I've got to love the game. And um, but you will never take the true the true game out of me, and that is Test cricket. Yep. I tell you, great, and great advice there too, Snubber. Hey, Rosie, um, lunch with Leah, we're getting behind a, a charity. It's called Cure Sarcoma, and I believe you had a personal experience with um, with a young boy. Was it Cooper who lost his life? Was it last year? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cooper, Cooper Rice Brading. Love, yeah. Great family, the Rice Brading family. Uh, Mitch um, played with one of my boys, and Cooper was at the same footy club and played mm. a bit of footy uh, for the Eastern Bulldogs. So um, really, really um, yeah, lovely, lovely family. Unfortunately, Coop passed away. I mean, it feels like a year, mate, but I reckon yeah. it was, gee, probably three years ago. Yeah, okay, now. right, yeah. You know, it's, it's amazing how – and one of the nicest kids you could ever meet, um, you know, really positive. Um, unfortunately, lost his life at about – geez, he was only 18 or 19 years of age. So, yeah, yeah you're well done on that, well done on raising money, and it's an incredible cause. And we lose – you know, we use young people – Far too, far too early. Yes, an aggressive form of kids' cancer. It's uh, horrible, mate. But uh, look, guys, I want, I, want end, I want to end on a happy note here, but um, I want to both say thank you for coming on, on Lunch with Lee. Um, you've both been not only fantastic sportsmen in your day, which was many years ago now, Paul, as you are reminded by your kids, but uh, you're, both, you're both fantastic coaches, great communicators and good blokes off the field as well. So thanks for coming on the show, guys. Yeah, thanks, mate. Great to have you, Stumper, too. Good to see you again. All the best, mate. Yeah, thank, thanks again, Foggy. And next time you say, when I read uh, Lunch with Lee, let's make up the real one. Mate, big time, mate. And um, maybe you can dust off that safari suit and we'll, uh, we'll have a bite to eat and Sharon O'Brien's beer. Thanks, mate. mate. I'll bring it out of combination. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, guys. Take care. Good idea. That's it for Lunch with Lee this week. A big thank you goes out to our guests, Paul Ruse and Steve Rickson. And thanks to our sponsors, X-Blades and O'Brien Beer. Make sure you hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. Do us a favour, hit five stars, and if you're passionate, leave a review. And come check us out on Instagram, I'm at Lunch With Lee. Our official Lunch With Lee photography was done by Felicity Kelly. You can find her on Instagram at Felicity Kelly Portraits. And thanks to our producer, Dan McHugh. We'll be back next time with some more complete legends talking about sport, music and business on another cracker episode of Lunch With Lee. We'll see you then. (laughs) 